Volume One, Chapter Nine of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. Poor girl, put on thy stifling widow's weed and scape at once from hope's accursed bands. Today thou wilt not see him, nor tomorrow, and the next day will be a day of sorrow. Life falls back into old grooves after calamities the most stupendous after fires after plagues after earthquakes people breakfast and dine marry and are given in marriage a few more graves testify to the fever that has decimated a city a ruined village here and there along the smiling southern shore shells that were once houses churches beneath whose shivered domes no worshipper dare ever kneel again bear witness to the earthquake but the monotonous commonplace life goes on all the same in city and village on hill and seashore and so when godfrey carmichael was laid in his grave when the coroner had adjourned and again adjourned his inquiry and an open verdict had been pronounced life in cheriton house resumed its old order and the room in which the bridegroom had lain murdered at the feet of the bride was again thrown open to the sun and air and to the sound of voices and to the going and coming of daily life lady cheriton would have had the room closed for a year at least she pleaded but her husband told her that to make it a sealed chamber now would be to throw it out of use for his lifetime if we once let servants and people think and talk of it as a haunted room nobody will ever like to occupy it again so long as this house stands he said stories will be invented those things shape themselves unawares in the human mind sounds will be heard and the whole house will become uninhabitable we both love our house maria our own hands have fashioned it after our own hearts it would be folly to put a brand upon it and to say henceforward it shall be accursed to us god knows i am sorry for juanita's sorrow sorry for my own loss but i look to you to help me in keeping our home bright and pleasant for our declining days it was the habit of her life to obey him and try to please him in all things so she answered gently of course dear james it will be as you wish i feel sure you are right it would be wicked to shut up that lovely room with a faint shudder but i shall never go near the west window without thinking of our dear boy and i'm afraid juanita will never be able to endure the room perhaps not we can use the other rooms when she is here she has her own house now and i dare say it will be some time before she will care to cross this threshold the house must seem fatal to her it was her own caprice that brought him here i'm afraid that recollection will torture her poor child it was finally decided therefore that the drawing-room should be used nightly as it had been all the peaceful years that were gone the lamps with their gay shades of rose or amber made spots of coloured light amidst tables heaped with flowers all the choicest blooms that the hot-houses or the gardens could produce were brought as of old like offerings to a pagan shrine the numberless toys upon the tables were set out in the old orderly disorder porcelain and enamel bonbon boxes on one table antique watches in gold and silver snuff-boxes on another bronzes intaglios coins medals filigree scent-bottles upon a third and a background of flowers everywhere the piano was opened and the candles lighted ready for her ladyship who sang spanish ballads delightfully even yet and who was in the habit of singing to her husband of an evening whenever they were alone they were generally alone now not being able to receive visitors from the outside world at such a time the vicar of the parish dined at cheriton now and then and matthew dalbrook spent a night there occasionally and talked over business matters and the future development of a tract of land at swanage which formed a portion of the original strangway estate the widow had taken possession of her new home 
the home which they two were to have lived in for half a century of loving union they had joked about their golden wedding as they sat at lunch on the lawn that day had laughed at the thought of how they would look in white hair and wrinkles and then had sighed at the thought of how those they loved now would be gone before that day came and how the friends who gathered round them would be new friends the casual acquaintances of the passing years promoted to friendship in the place of those earlier nearer dearer friends whom death had taken they had talked of their silver wedding which seemed a happier idea for dear lady jane and juanita's mother and father might all live to see that day they would be old of course older by five-and-twenty years but not too old to be happy and beloved the young wife and husband pictured the lawn on which they were sitting crowded with friends and tenants and villagers and children and planned the feasting and the sports which were to have a touch of originality something out of the beaten track which something was not easy to devise and now she and lady jane were sitting in the same spot in the sultry august evening two desolate women the tawny giant at their feet his dog the mastiff sticks looking up at them now and then with great serious eyes as if asking what had become of his master juanita was strangely altered since the day of her honeymoon her cheeks had hollowed and the large dark eyes looked larger and gave a haggard expression to the pallid face but she was bearing her sorrow bravely for lady jane's sake as lady jane had done for her sake in the beginning of things that gentle lady had broken down after the funeral and juanita had been constrained to forget her own agony for a brief space in trying to comfort the bereaved mother and so the two acted and reacted upon each other and it was well for them to be together they had settled down in the old house before they had been there a week lady jane put off her return to swanage indefinitely she could drive over now and then to supervise the gardening and she would stay at the priory as long as juanita wanted her that would be always said juanita ah my love that would not do i don't forget all that has been written about mothers-in-law there must be some truth in it oh but you forget that is when there is son and husband to quarrel about said juanita with a sudden sob we have no cause for jealousy we have only our dead lady jane wanted to establish her daughter-in-law in that cheerful sitting-room which had been her own but here juanita opposed her i am not going to have it now she said resolutely it shall be your room always no one else shall use it i am going to have his room for my den my dearest it is the dullest room in the house it was his room and i like it better than any other in the world she arranged all her own books and possessions in the large room looking into the stable-yard which had been sir godfrey's study from the time he went to eton she found all his eton books on a lower shelf of one of the bookcases and she sat on the floor for an hour dusting grammars and dictionary first greek reader latin gratis and all the rest of them she found his college books with the college arms upon them on another shelf she would have nothing disturbed or altered and she was supremely indifferent to the questions of incongruity her own bookcases from cheriton the dainty toy bookcases of inlaid satin wood were squeezed into the recesses on each side of the fireplace her photographs of mother father friends horses and dogs were arranged upon the carved oak mantelpiece above the quaint little cupboards with carved doors spoil of old belgian churches still full of choice cigars the young man's store his spurs and hunting crops canes and boxing gloves decorated the panel between the two tall windows his despatch box still stood upon the library table and the dog's ticks pushed the door open whenever it was left ajar and strolled into the room as by old established right 
she felt herself nearer her dead husband here than anywhere else nearer even than in the churchyard where she and lady jane went every afternoon with fresh flowers for his grave they had not laid him in the family vault but among the graves of gentle and simple under the sunny turf the marble was not yet carven which was to mark out his grave amidst those humbler resting-places theodore dalbrook had not seen his cousin since the day of the funeral his father and his two sisters had called upon her at the priory and had brought back an account of the quiet dignity with which she bore herself in her melancholy position i did not think she had so much solid sense said janet and then she and sophia talked about the priory as a dwelling-house and of its inferiority to cheriton and speculated upon the amount of their cousin's income she has a splendid position she will be a fine catch for some one by and by said harrington i hope she won't go and throw herself away upon an adventurer i hope not said his father but i suppose she will marry again that seems inevitable i don't see that it is inevitable argued theodore almost angrily she was devotedly attached to her husband i suppose there is now and then a woman who can remain faithful to her first love when the first love is alive and not always then put in sophia flippantly of course she will marry again if she wanted to remain single people would not let her with her income theodore got up and walked to the window his sister's talk often set his teeth on edge but rarely so much as it did to-day you talk of her as if she were the most shallow-brained of women he exclaimed with his back to the family group looking out with gloomy eyes into the old-fashioned street the narrow circumscribed view which he had hated of late with a deadly hatred i don't think she is very deep answered sophia she never could appreciate darwin she told me once that she wondered what i could find to interest me in earthworms a woman must indeed be shallow who feels no interest in that thrilling subject sneered theodore upon my word now said his father darwin's book interested me though i'm not a scientific man and i never see a worm wriggling off the gardener's spade without feeling that i ought to be grateful to him as a factor in the landed interest perhaps continued mr dalbrook musingly my own practice in the conveyance line owes something of its substantial character to earthworms if it were not for them there might be no land to convey the conversation drifted lightly away from juanita and her sorrow but her image still filled theodore's mind and he left the drawing-room and the frivolous talk and the clinking of teacups and teaspoons and went out in the declining light to walk in the avenue of sycamores on the edge of the old city he had not called upon his cousin in her new home he shrank from the very idea of meeting her while her sorrow was still new while her thoughts and feelings were concentrated upon that one subject while he could only be to her as an unwelcome intruder from that outside world she loathed as grief loathes all but its own sad memories had the calamity which had desolated her life brought her any nearer to him who had loved her so long and so unselfishly alas no he told himself that if she ever loved again it would be to a stranger that her reawakening heart would open rather than to the rejected lover of the past the man whom her memory would couple with the husband she had lost and whom she would compare disadvantageously with that chosen one no he told himself there was little more chance for him in the future than there had been in the past she liked him and trusted him with a sisterly affection which nothing short of a miracle could warm into love passion does not grow out of such placid beginnings in her very dawn of girlhood she had been in love with godfrey had blushed at his coming had quarrelled with him and wept stormy tears had suffered all those alternations of joy and grief 
pride and self-abasement which accompany love in an impassioned nature theodore remembered her treatment of the fifth form etonian of the undergraduate remembered the passionate drama perpetually being acted in those two young lives a drama which he had watched with aching heart and he felt that he could never be as that first lover had been he was associated with the commonplace of her life she had laughed often at his dry-as-dust talk with her father the dull discussions about leases and bills of dilapidation a solicitor living from year's end to year's end in a country town what a dreary person he must needs appear beside the brilliant young patrician full of the gladness of the life that knows neither labour nor care he sickened at the thought of that contrast he had served his father faithfully hitherto and the bond between father and son had been one of strong affection as well as duty but for the last year there had been growing upon him an inexpressible weariness of the house in which he was born and the city in which he had lived the chief part of his uneventful life he had struggled against the disgust of familiar things telling himself that it was an unworthy feeling and that he would be a snob if he indulged it yet the disgust grew into absolute loathing the monotonous days the repetitive work oppressed him like a nightmare since juanita's marriage the burden had become more and more intolerable to be so near her yet so far to be letting life creep away in dull drudgery which could never bring him nearer her social level to feel that all his pursuits and associations were beneath the woman he loved and could never arouse the faintest interest in her mind this was almost too bitter to be borne and he had for some time past been meditating some way of escape some manner of release from these old fetters into the wider arena of the outer world such escape was not easy he had to think of his father that indulgent large-minded father who had given his son a very remunerative share in his practice at an age when most young men are dependent for every suit of clothes or a five-pound note upon parental bounty and parental caprice he knew that his father looked to him for an entire release from work before they were many years older and that he would then find himself sole master of a business worth at least fifteen hundred a year all this had come to him and would come to him easily as the reward of conscientious and intelligent work it was a prospect which few young men would forego without considerable hesitation but theodore hardly thought of the substantial advantages which he was so eager to sacrifice his sole hesitation was on account of the disappointment which the step he contemplated would inflict upon his father he was not without a foreshadowing of a plan by which that disappointment might be in some wise lessened he had kept an eye upon his brother for some time past and he had discovered that the young man's fervour for the anglican church had begun to cool there were all the signs of wavering in that gifted youth at one time he devoted all his study to the writings of cardinal newman hurl frude and the tractarian party he lived in the atmosphere of oxford in the forties he talked of cardinal manning as the head and front of religious thought he was on the verge of deciding for the old faith then a sudden change came over the spirit of his dream he began to have doubts not of the reformed faith but of every western creed light comes from the east he told his sisters with an oracular air i doubt if there is any nearer resting-place for the sole of my foot than the temple of buddha i find the larger creed for which my mind yearns boundless vistas behind and before me i begin to entertain painful doubts of my fitness for the anglican church i might be a power perhaps but it would be outside those narrow bounds like voysey or stopford brook the church with its present limitations would not hold me 
the sisters sympathized argued quoted essays and reviews and talked of darwin and spencer huxley and comte theodore listened and said nothing he saw which way the tide was turning and rejoiced in the change of the current and now this sultry august afternoon pacing up and down the green walk he was expectant of an opportunity of discussing his brother's future with that gentleman himself as harrington was in the habit of taking his afternoon constitutional book in hand upon this very path he appeared by and by carrying an open volume of max muller and looking at the nursemaids and perambulators what theo taking your meditative cigar you don't often give yourself a holiday before dinner no but i wanted to talk to you alone and i knew this was your beat nothing gone wrong i hope no it is your future i want to discuss if you don't mind my future is wrapped in a cloud of doubt replied the younger man dreamily were the church differently constituted were the minds that rule in it of a larger caste a wider grasp a harrington how would you like the law as a profession theodore asked abruptly when the other began to hesitate my dear fellow it is all very well to ask me that question when you know there is no room for me in my father's office retorted harrington with a contemptuous wave of that long lean white hand which always reminded him of st francis de sales or savonarola not that he had any positive knowledge of what those saintly hands were like room might be made for you said theodore i should not care to accept a subordinate position oh caesar so far as the caesarship of a provincial solicitor's office can go the whole empire may be yours by and by if you like provided you put your shoulder to the wheel and pass your examinations do you mean to say that you would throw up your position and an income which would allow of your marrying to-morrow if you chose to make room for me if i can get my father's consent yes decidedly and how do you propose to exist without a profession i don't propose anything of the kind i mean to go to the bar oh i begin to understand a solicitor's office is not good enough for you i don't say that but i have taken a disgust an unreasonable disgust no doubt to that branch of the law and i am very sick of dorchester so am i retorted harrington gazing vaguely at a pretty nursemaid we are agreed there at any rate and you want to follow in lord cheriton's track and make a great name it is only one man in a thousand who succeeds as james dalbrook has succeeded but if i go to the bar you may be sure i shall do my best to get on and i shall start with a pretty good knowledge of common law you want to be in london you are pining for an aesthetic centre sighed harrington i don't quite know what that is but i should prefer london to dorchester so should i and you want me to take your place at the mill to grind out my soul in the dull round that has sickened you a life has begun to pall upon me but i think it ought to suit you answered theodore thoughtfully you are fonder of home and of the sisters than i am you get on better with them you have been rather grumpy lately i admit said harrington and you have let yourself cool upon your divinity exam you evidently don't mean the church i have outgrown the church you can't put a quart of wine into a pint bottle and you must do something i don't think you can do anything so good as to take my place and become my father's right hand until he chooses to retire and leave you the practice you will have married by that time perhaps and will have sobered down intellectually morally you are one of the steadiest fellows i know i suppose i ought to consider this what the house agents call an unusual opportunity said harrington but you must give me time to think it over take time 
answered theodore briefly i'll talk to my father in the meanwhile mr dalbrook received his elder son's communication as if it had been a blow from an enemy's hand do you suppose that ass harrington can ever take your place he exclaimed whereupon theodore took pains to explain that his brother was by no means an ass and that he was only labouring under that burden of small affectations which weighs down a young man who has been allowed to live too much in the society of young women sisters and sisters friends and to consider all his own utterances oracular he is not so fit for the church as brown is said theodore and he will only addle his brain if he reads any more theology he won't be content with Pauli and butler and the good old books which have been the turnpike road to ordination for a century he is all for new ideas and the new ideas are too big for him but if you will give him his articles and teach him as you taught me i don't think i taught you much you seem to get at everything by instinct ah you taught me my profession without knowing it and you will teach harrington with just as little trouble he will shake off that husk of affectation in your office no solicitor can be affected and he will come out a good lawyer while i am trying my luck in temple chambers reading and waiting for briefs with your help by and by i am bound to do something i shall get a case or two upon this circuit anyhow i can't think what has put this folly in your head theo said his father with a vexed air it is not folly father it is not a caprice the young man protested with sudden earnestness for god's sake don't think me ungrateful or that i would unwillingly turn my back upon my duty to you only young people have troubles of their own don't you know and of late i have not been altogether happy i have not prospered in my love dream and so i have set up a new idol that idol so many men worship with more or less reward success i want to spread my wings and see if they will carry me on a longer flight than i have taken yet well it would be selfish of me to balk you even if your loss were to cripple me altogether and it won't do that i am strong enough to work on for a few years longer than i intended oh my dear father i hope it won't come to that i hope my change of plan won't shorten your years of leisure i am afraid that's inevitable theo i can't transfer a fine practice to my son till i've made him a good lawyer and god knows how long that will take in harrington's case judging by my present estimation of him i should say half a century but don't be downhearted theo you shall eat your dinners you shall qualify for the woolsack after all i don't know how a life of leisure might suit me it would be a change from the known to the unknown almost as stupendous as the change from life to death perhaps matthew dalbrook had fathomed that secret woe at which theodore had hinted darkly in any case he took his elder son's defection more easily than might have been hoped and bore patiently with some preliminary fatuity from the younger son who accepted the gift of his articles an allowance of two hundred pounds per annum and the promise of a junior partnership in the near future with the languid politeness of one who felt that he was renouncing a mitre everything was settled off-hand and theodore was to go to london at the end of september to select and furnish his modest chambers in one of those grave old courts of the temple and be ready to begin his new life with the beginning of term he had not seen juanita since the funeral and she had been told nothing of this sudden reconstruction of his life but he determined to see her before he left dorchester and he considered that he had a right as her kinsman to bid her good-bye perhaps in his heart weariness he was inclined to exaggerate the solemnity of that leave-taking somewhat as if he had been starting for australia he drove over to the priory on a dull grey afternoon his last day in dorchester 
his portmanteaus were packed and all things were ready for an early departure next morning sorely as he had sickened of the good old town which was his birthplace he felt a shade of melancholy at the idea of cutting himself adrift altogether from that quiet haven and the love of those open stretches of barren heath and those swampy meadows and grazing cattle on the way to millbrook was ingrained in him deeper than he knew it was a landscape which took a peculiar charm from the grey dimness of an autumnal atmosphere and it seemed to theodore dalbrook that those level pastures and winding waters had never looked fairer than they looked to-day he had written to his cousin a day before to tell her of his intended visit it was too solemn a matter in his own mind for him to leave the finding her at home to chance his groom took the dog-cart round to the stables while he was ushered at once to the drawing-room where lady carmichael was sitting at her work-table in the bow-window with sticks stretched on a lion-skin at her feet the silence of the house struck theodore dalbrook painfully as he followed the footman across the hall and along a corridor which led to the drawing-room that death-like silence of a roomy old mansion in which there are neither children nor guests only one lonely inhabitant waited upon by solemn-visaged servants drilled to a phenomenal quietness and keeping all their good spirits for the remoteness of the servants hall shut off by double doors and long passages saddened by that atmosphere of gloom he entered his cousin's presence and stood with her small cold hand in his looking at the face which had changed so sorely from that vivid beauty which had shone upon him in the low light of the sinking sun on that summer evening not three months ago as he looked the memory of the bride's face came between him and the face of the widow and for a moment or two he stood speechless the clearly cut features were pinched and sharpened wasted by long nights of weeping and long days of silent regret the dark eyes were circled by purple shadows and the oval cheeks were sunken and pallid all the colour and richness of that southern beauty had vanished as if some withering blight had passed over the face it was very good of you to think of me before you left dorchester she said gently she pushed forward a chair for her cousin before she sat down and theodore seated himself opposite to her with the wicker work-table between them he wondered a little to see that satin-lined receptacle gorged with bright-coloured silks and pieces of unfinished embroidery for it seemed to him that there was a touch of frivolity in this light ornamental needlework which hardly harmonised with her grief-stricken countenance you cannot suppose that i should leave without seeing you he said i should have come here weeks ago only only you wanted to give me time to grow calm to teach myself to look my trouble straight in the face she said interpreting his thought that was very thoughtful of you well the storm is over now i am quite calm as you see i dare say some people think i am getting over it that is the usual phrase is it not and so you are going to the bar theodore i am glad of that you are clever enough to make a name as my father did it will be slow work i suppose but it will be a field worthy of your ambition which a solicitor's office in a market-town never would be i have felt the want of a wider field for a long time and i shall feel more interest in a barrister's work but i hope you don't think i am conceited enough to expect to get on as well as your father i don't know about that i think you must know you are a clever man i have been wishing to see you for a long time theodore only i was like you i wanted to give myself time to be calm i want to talk to you about the murderer yes have you heard anything has there been any discovery nothing the offer of a reward has resulted in nothing not one little scrap of information the london detective gave up the business and went back to town a week after the funeral having obtained only negative results the police hereabouts are creatures without an idea 
and so unless something is done unless some clever brain can solve the riddle the wretch who killed my husband may go down to the grave unpunished it is hard that it should be so said theodore quietly yet it is an almost impossible case there is not a single indication so far to put one on the track not one little clue not for these dull-brained mechanical discoverers perhaps but for you or me theo for us who loved him there ought to be light think what a strange murder it was not for gain remember had it been the hand of a burglar that shot him i could understand the difficulty of tracing that particular criminal among all the criminal classes but this murder which seems utterly motiveless must have been prompted by some extraordinary motive it was not the act of a maniac a maniac must have left some trace of his presence in the neighbourhood a maniac could not have so completely eluded the police on the alert to hunt him down there must have been some indication put madness out of the question juanita what then hatred theodore that is the strongest passion in the human mind a savage hatred which could not be satisfied except with the brightest life that it had the power to destroy a relentless hatred not against him not against my beloved what had he done in all his good life that any one upon this earth should hate him but against us against my father and mother and me the usurpers the owners of cheriton manor against us who have thrust ourselves upon the soil which that wicked race held so long oh theodore i have thought and thought of this till the conviction has grown into my mind till it has seemed like a revelation from god it was one of that wicked family who struck this blow one of your predecessors the strangways is that what you mean nita yes that is what i mean my dear juanita it is too wild an idea what after your father has owned the estate nearly a quarter of a century why should the enemy wait all those years and choose such a time because there never before was such an opportunity of striking a blow that should bring ruin upon us my father's hope of making his son-in-law his successor in the peerage was known to a good many people it may easily have reached the ears of the strangways my dear girl the family has died off like rotten sheep i doubt if there are any survivors of the old race oh but families are not obliterated so easily there is always some one left there were two sons and a daughter of the old squires surely one of those must have left children but juanita to suppose that any man could hate the purchaser of his squandered estate with a hatred malignant enough for murder is to imagine humanity akin to devils we are akin to devils cried juanita excitedly i felt that i could rejoice as the devils rejoice at human suffering if i could see my husband's murderer tortured yes if he were tied against a tree as indian savages tie their sacrificial victims tied against a tree and killed by inches with every variety of torture which a hellish ingenuity can suggest i would say my litany like those savages my litany of triumph and content yes theodore we have more in common with the devils than you may think i cannot see the possibility of murder prompted by such an inadequate motive said theodore slowly remembering as he spoke how churton had suggested that the crime looked like a vendetta inadequate ah that depends don't you see remember we have not to deal with good people the strangways were always an evil race almost every tradition that remains about their lives is a story of wrong-doing and think how small a wound may be deadly when the blood has poison in it beforehand and it is a small thing to see strangers in a home that has been in one's family for three centuries 
again remember that although nothing throve on the cheriton estate while the strangways held it or at any rate not the last hundred years of their holding no sooner was my father in possession than the luck changed quarries were developed land that had been worthless became valuable for building everything has prospered with him and think of them outside banished for ever like adam and eve out of paradise think of them with hate and envy gnawing at their hearts there would be time for them to get over that feeling in four-and-twenty years and when you talk about them i should like to know exactly whom you mean i assure you the general idea is that they have all died off that is to say all of the direct line it is upon that very subject i want to talk to you theodore would you like to do me a service a very great service nothing would make me happier then will you try to find out all about the strangways if they are really all gone or if there are not some survivors or a survivor of the last squire's family if you can do that much it will be something gained we shall know better what to think when i heard that you were going to live in london it flashed into my mind that you would be just the right person to help me and i knew how good you had been to me always and that you would help london is the place in which to make your inquiries i have heard my father say that all broken lives all doubtful characters gravitate towards london it is the one place where people fancy they can hide i will do everything in my power to realize your wish juanita i shall be a solitary man with a good deal of leisure so i ought to succeed if success be possible they were silent for some few minutes juanita being exhausted with the passionate vehemence of her speech she took up a piece of embroidery from the basket and began with slow careful stitches upon the petal of a dog-rose i am glad to see you engaged upon that artistic embroidery said theodore presently for the sake of saying something that means perhaps that you wonder i can care for such frivolous work as this she said interpreting his recent thought when his eyes first lighted on her satin-lined basket with its rainbow-hued silks it seems inconsistent i dare say but this work has helped me to quiet my brain many a time when i have felt myself on the brink of madness these slow regular stitches the mechanical movement of my hand as the flowers grow gradually stitch by stitch through the long melancholy day have quieted my nerves i cannot read books give me no comfort for my eyes follow the page while my mind is brooding on my own troubles it is better to sit and think quietly while i work it is better to face my sorrow have you been long alone no it is only three weeks since lady jane went back to swanage and she comes to see me two or three times a week my father and mother come as often you must not think i am deserted every one is very good to me they have need to be again there was a brief interval of silence and then juanita closed her basket and lifted her earnest eyes to her cousin's face you know all about the strangways she inquired i have heard a good deal about them from one and another people who live in the country have long memories and are fond of talking of the lords of the soil even when the race has vanished from the land i have heard elderly men tell their after-dinner stories about the strangways at my father's table you know the family portraits at cheriton the pictures in the hall yes i have wondered sometimes that your father should have kept them there effigies of an alien race i hate them exclaimed juanita shuddering i always had an uncomfortable feeling about them a feeling of strange cold eyes looking at us in secret enmity but now i abhor them there is a girl's face a cruel face that i used rather to admire when i was a child and sometimes dream about and on the last night but one of my happy life 
i looked at that picture with godfrey and told him my feeling about that face and he told me the pitiful story of the girl whose portrait we were looking at the creature had a sad life and died in france poor and broken-hearted two hours later i heard a strange step upon the terrace while godfrey and i were sitting in the library a stealthy creeping step coming near one of the open windows and then creeping away again when we looked out there was no one to be seen and this was the night before sir godfrey's death yes i told my father about it after after my trouble and when he questioned the gardeners he discovered that footprints had been seen by one of them on the damp gravel the morning after i heard that ghost-like step they were strange footprints the man was sure or he would not have noticed them the prints of a shoe with a flat heel not of a large foot but they were not very distinct and he went over them with his roller and rolled them out and thought no more about the fact till my father questioned him the next day was dry and warm as you know and the gravel was hard next night there were no footprints seen afterwards did the gardener trace those marks beyond the terrace to the avenue for instance not he all he did was to roll them out with his iron roller they suggest one point that the murderer may have been lurking about on the night before the crime i am sure of it that footstep would not have frightened me if there had been no meaning in it i felt as a scotchman does when he has seen the shadow of the shroud round his friend's figure it is a point for you to remember theodore if you mean to help me i do mean to help you god bless you for that promise she cried giving him her hand and if you want any further information about the strangways there is some one here who might be useful godfrey's old bailiff jasper blake lived over ten years at cheriton he only left there when the squire died and he almost immediately entered the service of godfrey's father if you can stay till the evening i will send for him and you can ask him as many questions as you like i will stay there is a moon rather late in the evening and i shall be able to get back any time before midnight but juanita as an honest man i am bound to tell you that i believe you are following an ignis fatuus you are influenced by prejudices and fancies rather than by reason End of chapter 9